Greetings one and all. Welcome to another episode of ATP. Ask the Pastor, Pastor Sullivan here at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Kerrville, Texas. Don't forget to check out all of our cool links that we got to all of our cool stuff in the video description below. Today's question. It's a bit of a long one. Dear Pastor, I've been trying to research about apostolic succession since I hear from Catholics and Orthodox that the sacraments of Lutherans are invalid because they don't fall into the apostolic line. The treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope in the Lutheran Confessions, paragraphs 60 to 72, argues that the right of ordaining pastors must be reserved to the church, not exclusively to the bishops. It makes the argument that the church is wherever two or three people are gathered together in Christ's name. Since the church has the right to administer the gospel wherever it is, it must have the gifts of God wherever it is. Therefore, the church can elect her own leaders since leaders are a gift from God. Therefore, the treatise states that even laymen can perform the sacraments if there is an emergency. But can this be demonstrated? I read verses where the apostles appointed ministers and leaders, and those who were ordained also ordained others, but not that laymen ordained leaders. This makes me wonder that even this makes me wonder that even uh, though apostolic succession is not directly taught, it is nevertheless assumed to be true by the actions of the apostles. Are there any examples from Scripture and or the early church where Christian laymen elected and ordained their ministers, as well as whether laymen performed the sacraments in an emergency? All right, so th this is a big question, but I think we can, we can pull this apart a bit. So first of all, there is no example of Christian laymen electing and ordaining their ministers because that's not what Melanchthon's talking about in this section of the treatise. Now, your summary of the argument is good until you write this. Therefore, the church can elect her own leaders, since leaders are a gift from God. Therefore, the treatise states that even laymen can perform the sacraments if there is an emergency. These two statements of yours need to be pulled apart because they're not saying the same thing. Christ gives his church the right and the responsibility to call and ordain ministers. That's how the church exercises the office of the keys. Rome insists that bishops alone have the authority to ordain men into the ministry and that they possess this authority by divine right, that is, from God. So when we say the church has the right to call and ordain ministers, we don't mean simply just any group of Christians. Uh, the church consists of laity, but also of clergy. And historically, both of those groups have had a role uh, in the process of call and ordination. Uh, in fact, in post-Reformation times, the church included the magistrate as well, uh, since they were then Christian rulers. Johann Gerhard uh, tells us, he says, Speaking briefly and broadly, examination, ordination, and installation belong to the presbytery, to the pastors. Nomination, presentation, and confirmation belong to the Christian magistrate, and consent, suffrage, approval, or even, considering circumstances, request, belongs to the people. So when the treatise states that churches undoubtedly retain the authority to call, to elect, and to ordain ministers, it doesn't mean just any group of laymen can get together and, and elect and ordain one from their own number into the ministry. The people's role is, as Gerhard says, consent, suffrage, approval, and maybe even request of the candidate, while it's the presbytery's job, those men who are incumbents of the office of the ministry, their job then consists of examining the doctrine of the candidate and ordaining and installing him into the ministry. 
This is what we see happening in Acts 6, verse 3, when the apostles say, uh, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So they seek the people's consent uh, and suffrage in the election of the deacons. You know, the example of Timothy demonstrates that presbyters can ordain. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership, or the presbytery. So presbyters, which are pastors, can ordain because scripturally there's no distinction between bishops and presbyters. That distinction exists only by human right, uh, not by divine right. Uh, just as the custom that bishops are the ones who ordain suitable men to the ministry, that is an, a human arrangement, not something by divine right. Gerhardt states, uh, It is evident from the apostolic command and from approved examples of Scripture that bishops and presbyters must be used whenever the ministry is to be entrusted to someone. And we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, the examples are places like Acts 14.23, 1 Timothy 4.14. 1 Timothy 5.22, 2 Timothy 2.2, and Titus 1.5. The treatise employs the common usages of the church to prove this when it says, For in former times the people elected clergymen and bishops, and then the bishop, living in or near the same place, came and confirmed those elected by the laying on of hands. And at that time, ordination was nothing else than this approbation. Now, the reason that all of this was even an issue during the time of the Reformation was that the Roman bishops were refusing to ordain ministers in the Lutheran territories. Again, Johann Gerhard describes how this situation affected the churches of the Augsburg Confession. He writes, Papist bishops were unwilling to ordain ministers for our church unless they would return to the bosom of the Roman church. But because neither the teachers nor the hearers of our church could do this by reason of conscience, the necessity to ordain had clearly, excuse me, had certainly been cast upon the presbyters unless they wanted the church to be without ministers. That's the situation. That's the historical background for Melanchthon writing in the treatise. Therefore, if the bishops are either heretics or will not ordain qualified persons, the churches are under obligation in the sight of God, according to the divine law, to ordain for themselves pastors and other church officers. So those ordinations weren't laymen electing and ordaining other laymen for the ministry. They followed the scriptural examples. Their pastors were the ones who ordained men to the ministry through the procedure that was still in use at the time of Gerhard. It's also important to note then that Lutherans have no problem whatsoever with the idea of Episcopal ordination as long as it is done for the sake of order um, not because of the belief that bishops have that authority by divine right. Now that we've got that out of the way, now we can deal with the second part of the question, which deals with laymen administering the sacraments. So the keys belong to the entire church corporately, the whole church. Now this doesn't give individual members of the church the right to exercise the keys and administer the sacraments. The church, rather, exercises the keys uh, by calling and ordaining qualified men into the ministry. However, it is because the church, uh, because the keys, excuse me, belong to the church corporately that a layman can, in an emergency, absolve and baptize. 
Now, we exclude the Lord's Supper from that because there's no such thing as an emergency Lord's Supper. So this has to be understood, though, as an irregular procedure, one that is dictated by necessity. This is why Melanchthon can write in paragraph 67 of the treatise, uh, in case of necessity, a mere layman can absolve another and become his pastor. As St. Augustine uh, relates that two Christians were in a ship together, the one baptized the other, and afterwards was absolved by him. So there's your early church example from St. Augustine. The situation that he describes is an emergency situation in which two men are lost at sea. They're going to die. They have no hope of rescue. And necessity dictates that these men exercise the keys. Now, that emergency then does not become an excuse to replace the regular procedure. Where there is no true necessity, where there's no true emergency, the church retains the regular practice for calling and ordaining ministers. So this isn't any sort of Roman or Eastern Orthodox concept of uh, apostolic succession, kind of working in the background or being assumed here. Because Scripture, not what later generations assume the apostles, uh, based on the apostles' actions, Scripture alone forms our doctrine. Succession of persons, uh, frankly, it's only helpful as long as those people retain the apostolic teaching. You know, succession of persons without a succession of doctrine uh, is worthless. And, and, and frankly, succession of persons isn't even a mark of the church because other groups that aren't church can have succession of persons. What is the mark of the church is the succession of the apostles' doctrine as taught in the New Testament. Part of the apostles' teaching, then, is that the whole church has the authority to elect and ordain ministers and that the church puts those men into the ministry by those who he have who was already placed in those ministry in the ministry excuse me be they bishops or presbyters hope this helps thanks for the question